We have been in a series called Controversy, talking about the tough passages of the Bible. And when we started that, I mentioned and planned that we would come out of that back into our Roman study, which we haven't picked up on for a while. Once we got through Romans 8, I kind of made us stop and we did some other things like Christmas and we had things like that. And so the plan was to do this controversy series and then come into one of the most controversial passages in the Bible, in the book of Romans. Um, for those of you who have uh, been attending just kind of recently or you're new, uh, you need to understand a couple things about us. We are a church who loves God, a church who loves you, and a church who loves the Word of God. It's very important to us that we are studying the Word of God. We get together on Sunday mornings to worship God, to edify one another, to build each other up, to worship in spirit and in truth, both in singing as a congregation, but also we gather to worship God by studying his word, studying the Bible. That is an act of worship to him. We believe the Bible is true, all of it, not just the parts we like. The parts we don't like are true also. And we believe that Christ's followers are called to study the Bible as an act of worship and reverence and relationship. That's fundamental to us. Now, there are Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one at home, and if there's not one in front of you, ask somebody, they'll grab you one. That's for you. If you don't have a Bible at home or your Bible, as I've said before, is broken, and you'll know that because if you haven't been reading it, it's probably broken. So grab a new one. Um, take that home with you. That's our gift. It's free. You don't owe us anything. You don't have to tell us, hey, I took a Bible. It's all yours. We want you to have the Word of God in your home. It's very important to us that you have that. Okay. Are we? I hear a little feedback here. You good? Um, we spend time studying the Word of God, the Scripture, because it draws us closer to Him. It helps us understand and live in reality. I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of people out there are not living in reality, right? The, one of the things that I think Satan attacks the world with is an attack on the idea of reality or truth in general. And as we've seen that progress, we've gotten to the point where there's, there's straight lunacy, what we would have called lunacy, just a few years ago, that is being taught to your children, that is being, uh, people are talking about like it's a completely normal thing. We're heading into June, which is, uh, as I'm sure you all are excited for, Pride Month. Um, and that is, I, I assume you're not, and I'm not trying to make fun of the, the thing in general, but what I'm going to say is, you're going to see things, from what I can tell, that we've never seen before. Um, as this starts to come down, because the idea that was once kind of one thing has now become another thing, and, it's, and it's, it's dropping off the cliff fast. So if you want to be grounded to reality, you know, sometimes you'll think things, you're like, I'm, that's probably not true what I'm thinking. I need to ground myself in reality. The Bible is the place you do that. The Bible grounds you in reality. That's what it does. That's what it does. So there is no other place to get this much truth in one package than the Word of God, the Bible. There's no other place to do it. The revealed, Holy Spirit-breathed Word of God. So as we head into the study of Romans 9, I really do want to tell you this is possibly the most complicated and difficult passage of Scripture that we have studied together, you and I, in the seven and a half years or, or whatever it's been since I've been uh, teaching pastor here. Uh, there are major, big schools of thought within the church that differ in their beliefs 
on what this chapter means and have pretty significant differences in their beliefs. I want you to know a couple things. One, the stuff we're going to read in Romans 9, a lot of it is what we'd call secondary issues um, of Scripture. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But these kinds of issues should not cause disunity in the body of Christ. But I do want you to understand that it's complicated and requires real study to understand. And I know, like, for a lot of people, you go to a sermon and you're kind of maybe looking for stuff to, to be a certain way and not to get too serious or too deep or too whatever. It's Sunday morning, you're looking forward to lunch, whatever. I get some coffee and get a notebook because th- there's work to do. There's work to do in these passages. So um, we're very committed here at Acts Church to using God's created gift to us of our minds and using our minds well, thinking well. So before we can jump in to studying such a complicated piece of scripture, we need to spend some time thinking and studying how to study scripture. So just spoiler alert, we're not even going to get into Romans 9 today, okay? We're going to talk about something that you need to understand as a Christ follower. We're going, to, we're going to talk about what it looks like, what God says about, and how we should approach studying the Scripture so that when we get into it, you can actually walk through a complicated piece of Scripture and understand it. Remember, this is very important that you understand this. The Bible is not just for people, theologians or pastors to understand. The Bible is for you. God gave you a mind, and you're much smarter than people treat you like, and you're much smarter than you probably think you are. God's gift of your mind is an incredible gift. It's an incredible gift, and you should use it because using it is a way to worship him. And so be ready for that. One of the things that we want all of the people in the body of Christ to have is the discipline and ability of studying the scripture for yourself. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is Paul writing a letter to Timothy, telling him how he ought to be, and, this is, and I think this is true for all of us. We need to be diligent. We need to be diligent that we can rightly divide the word of truth. That, that means that it's not just easy. If you have to be diligent, something's probably difficult. We have to do the difficult work if we want to rightly divide the word of truth. And if you can't rightly divide the word of truth, and if you don't know the Bible, let me just tell you something. It will be very easy for you to be swept off into any number of competing philosophies or even false religions or even false versions of Christianity. If you don't know the scripture, you are going to be waving in the wind. You need to know. You can't just take what I say. And know for sure it's true. As the Bereans said, you've got to check by the scripture to make sure that what you're getting is the word of God. Because I am not the authority. The Bible is the authority. Jesus is the authority. And if you don't know the scripture well and how to study it well, you won't know. And while I believe that I'm telling you what's true, the next person who comes along or somebody who you listen to on YouTube or whatever it is can start taking you down a road because you don't understand the scripture and you don't understand how to study it well. That's why we need to do this the right way. If we want to be loving children of our Father God, we have to know him better and better. And we have the Bible for that. If we want to live lives that honor God because we love him and he gave himself up for us on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the Bible for that. If we want to be able to understand who we are 
and what we need as people made in the image and likeness of God. We have the Bible for that. If we want to walk in the command of Jesus Christ, our God, our King, in the Great Commission, which is on the wall outside, we need to know the Bible for that. Basically, if there's anything of value to know for our salvation, for our spiritual and physical health, for maturity and for our relationship with God and with others, we need to know the Bible. Or you're going to be confused and you're going to wonder why things aren't going the way you want them to go and you don't feel the way you want to feel and so on and so forth. Because if you're grounded in the word, you'll have peace, understanding, and wisdom. So you need to know the Bible for that. But I need to be clear. The Bible is not easy to understand all the time. It was not a, this is not a book written for people who have no interest in actually digging in and studying. This is a book written for grown-ups. I'm not saying children can't read it. I just mean grown-up minds. The idea that you would study and try to know it well. There are parts of the Bible that are clear, obvious to basically everyone who reads it, Okay. Sometimes some people try to make those really clear and obvious things confusing so that they don't have to do what those things are, but that's a different issue. There's a lot of things that are very clear and obvious in the Bible, but there are parts of the Bible that are complicated, really complicated, and require us to truly study and show ourselves approved by rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, Romans 9, definitely one of those chapters. We need to spend some time building our skills and reading and studying the Bible this morning. I want to get the most out of this chapter and all the rest of Scripture. And so to do that, I want all of us to be thinking about how we study the Scripture. So let's walk through it. Because there's more than one way to approach teaching people how to study the Bible. We can start with hermeneutics and exegesis and eisegesis and inductive study. But we're not going to do that because I don't know what those words mean. (laughs) So I do know what they mean, but I don't care to explain them. They're not important right now. That's not where I want to start. That's not where you start. That's not where you start. Because most people don't know what those words mean. But also, I think you have to take a step back. You don't study the Bible by immediately just digging in and starting to go. You've got to, t- you've got to take a step back and think about, what are we trying to do? If you're going to study the Bible, you've got to ask yourself, what are we trying to do? So for me, whenever I'm doing something, I like to define a win. Define what a win is before I start. That means I know what it looks like to achieve the goal that I'm after. I got to start with that or else I never know whether I've actually achieved the goal, whether I've actually won, if I've never defined a win. Then I just keep moving the goalposts and never kind of figure out what I'm doing. So I got to know up front, what does a win look like in studying the scripture? What does it look like? What are we trying to accomplish when we study the word? And I, I highly recommend that you take notes as we walk through this. Because I want you to be thinking about writing some notes down for yourself about how you think through this, okay? You can use your phone or whatever. Or you can keep, you know, looking at Instagram, whatever it is you're doing. Um, Ultimately, the Bible is communication from God to people, okay? Ultimately, the Bible is communication from God to people. So we have to ask the big questions first. Okay. I'm working this, through this with you. I, I'm thinking about this as I go. We're kind of doing this together. But the, big question, the first big question is this. What is the point of communication? If we know this is communication, the first thing we have to ask is, what is the point of communication? This may seem very easy to you. Like, well, obviously I know it is. Just bear with me, okay? I'm not as smart as you, so I have to think through these things. Communication is an attempt to pass information from one to another, right? Information from one to another. Communication is a way to create knowledge in the recipient, so we're starting to get an idea of what this is about, to create knowledge in the recipients. We, we communicate in many ways. 
There are signs with a little stick figure dude and stick figure lady. And we know that means I can go to the bathroom there, right? That's the men's and women's bathroom. You, you know that sign, right? It's communicating. It's giving you knowledge about where the bathrooms are. That's communication. We do that. Signs pass knowledge to people. We nod our heads up and down to communicate, I'm not interested in doing that thing, or I disagree with you, or whatever, right? Well, that's the wrong way. Side to side. We nod on side to side. For me, it's really hard. I'm a bad communicator. No, side to side, right? I don't want to do that thing. Yes, I do want to do that thing. We, we have ways we can communicate with body language, okay? We can write a poem in flowery language to pass knowledge of our love for someone. That's what communication is about. Getting someone to understand something some new information to get knowledge to that person about what you're trying to communicate. Now, God has communicated with us through inspiring the scripture. He is telling you things. He is passing knowledge to you. He wants you to know him. And this is so important. This is fundamental. Understand this. The Bible is not just for other people or just for pastors, or just for the church in general, or something like that. The Bible is communication with you. When you are reading the Bible, you're not just doing it. I can get into this too, like, oh, I need to get my Bible reading done today, and it can even become kind of like a chore. Like if it's, and that's okay, it's a discipline, so we should be doing it. But it's a lot better if you think about what is in here was written for us. For you as an individual, God wants to speak to you. Through this, if you are a Christ follower and you are engaging with the Word of God, you are literally communicating with God. He is speaking to you, He's communicating to you through this. So, this is personal. This is personal. You have to understand that. When you see the Bible that way, you can understand your personal relationship with God better. Some people struggle with their personal relationship with God, doesn't feel personal enough, and so on. Well, He's had a lot to say. Let's start by understanding all of that right? You're going to want to understand the scriptures more clearly when you recognize that they are actually written to you. Communication can be complicated. For instance, the more you know a person, the better you understand his communication. Um, there was a time when we were doing two services, and in the first service, uh, every, everybody started moving to the first service, what happened. I think summer came, and people were like, I want to be able to get out and do stuff, so I'm going to come to the earlier service. Also, Pastor David can't go over because there's a service after that. So what happened was that first service <laughs> filled up, right? So then, but, but visitors generally like to go to the second service. For whatever reason, visitors didn't come to the first service. So sometimes all of our people would be at the first service, and I've got maybe, you know, we've got a relatively small group of people, and a bunch of them are visitors. And the problem is they don't know me well, so I say something sarcastic, and they just think I might be weird, right? They don't know that I'm being sarcastic because they don't know me very well. If you've been here for a while, you know I say a lot of sarcastic things, right? That's just my style. That's just the way I do things. But if you don't know me well, I'll say something sarcastic and be like, is he serious? Is this guy a heretic? They don't know, right? They think I'm weird. Because the more you know somebody, the more you understand the way that they communicate. The more that you know somebody, the more that you understand how they communicate. In the same way, if you read the Bible and you don't know God very well, you're going to have a difficult time understanding what he's communicating. The more you know God, the more you understand his word. The more that you seek him, the more that you understand what he communicates. Knowing God is a combination of studying the word, praying, reflecting on him. 
It also involves loving him, living for him, things like that. That's how you get to know God better. And when you do that, you invest your life in him, living as a living sacrifice, as we read in Romans 12.1, you will find yourself loving him more and more because you've invested your life in him. So Bible study actually does not begin with understanding the differences between exegesis and eisegesis. Bible study begins with knowing and loving God. If you're not going to come to the text, if you're not going to come to the scripture with a heart for God, don't bother. Don't bother. Because how are you going to understand what someone's trying to say? And I'm talking about trying to get the difficult things in the scripture when you don't love God. He's the one communicating. You don't know him. You don't love him. Yeah, you're going to have a difficult time with it. So you've got to come to the scripture primarily before the study starts with a heart for him, with a desire to know him. I would rather listen to a Bible teacher who loves God with all of his heart and has very little education than a Greek and Hebrew scholar who doesn't love God at all. He can say all kinds of stuff. He can go through here and be like, that's Greek. That's what it sounds like. You don't know. Anyway, a couple of you do. Uh, that's not what it sounds like. But you could, you could tell me all the Greek and all the Hebrew and the history. and the, blah, blah, blah. But if you don't love God, it's dead to me. I'll take the person who loves God and is passionate about the Scripture, who is doing his very best to understand with the power of the Holy Spirit what the Scripture is saying with proper Bible study, but a love for God over the academic every day. Not a question. Not difficult. Not difficult. The one who does not love God has missed the first and most important aspect of communication. Remember what we said. This is God communicating. This is communication. If you don't know the person, if you don't know the one communicating, you're not going to get it. So that's the first aspect. Once we've answered the question about that, knowing and understanding who's communicating with us, we had to ask the next question. What does it look like? to understand what God is communicating in the Bible. How do, what does that look like? How do we know that we're understanding? Now, this is where things get a little more complicated. There are at least three things, three categories of things, I'd say, that are communicated in the Scripture from the standpoint of our knowledge. Now, follow me here, okay? Remember that communication is primarily about passing knowledge from one to another. So God has given you knowledge of who he is, of who you are, of what's going on in the world, of, of the creation, fall, redemption, you know, the resurrection, all these things. He's giving you all this stuff, okay? When he tells you that Christ rose from the dead, he wants you to know, passing knowledge about that Christ rose from the dead. He's trying to pass knowledge to you. So a win is when we understand properly what God is communicating. That's how we define a win means we go from ignorance about something to knowledge in some area where God is teaching us through the communication of his word in the Bible. So then the question we have to ask ourselves is this. What do you know? 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 What do you know, right? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. What do we know? And, and this is, it may sound simple, 
but it's actually incredibly important and fundamental. What do we know? How do we know when we know something? How do we know when the communication has been effective we actually know something? That's an important question to you because we are very confused these days about what knowledge is. Very confused. Some people think their opinions are knowledge. Go on social media. You're like, here's a fact. And they're like, here's my opinion. Equal weight. No. No. People think their feelings are knowledge these days. Other people, some people think we can, the only thing you could ever know is what you can see and hear. So to me, Iraq doesn't exist, right? I've never been there. Can't see it, can't hear it. Right? So th there are people who have different views about knowledge. Some people think we can't even know those things and we're living in a simulation. You don't know anything. Nonsense. But before we can assess whether we're meeting the goal of getting knowledge, we have to know what knowledge is. Now, I have been greatly confused in my life over knowledge. I have misjudged the amount of knowledge I have by orders of magnitude. Here's a graph throughout my life of how much knowledge I perceived that I had at different ages. There's birth, 12 years old. 21 is when I knew basically everything. By 30, I was pretty low, 45 years old. Now, here's a perception, my perception of what I thought my dad, Pastor Dave, knew throughout my life. You want to put that one up? <laughs> Towards the end, you see it trailing off. He's getting old there. That's why... <laughs> Once he hit 100, it started to kind of dip. But that's how I thought, right? All right, get this thing out of here. I, that's how I thought, right? I knew everything. He knew nothing. At the beginning, he knew everything. I knew nothing. And it was like flipped at 21. Some of you may remember being that age. And probably all of you weren't as arrogant and silly as I was. But I thought that I knew it all at that point. It was amazing how much my dad learned between the ages of 21 and 30 for me. He just got really smart all of a sudden. So, point is we can struggle with what we know. We can call things knowledge that really aren't knowledge. That really aren't knowledge. So the question is, what do you know? It's an important one. When I claim there are at least three categories of things that are communicated in Scripture from the standpoint of our knowledge, what I mean is there are at least three levels of knowledge that are communicated by God through the Scripture. Okay. And you're going to have to follow this. Let me give you an idea of what I mean, broad categories. The first one is communication in Scripture that is clear and direct and gives us certainty of knowledge of things, okay? Examples would be something like this. The universe is created by God. Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God forgives sins. These things are just, they're, they're just unambiguously clear. We have certain knowledge of them, Okay? You should believe those things completely. Loads of truth. That's a British way of saying that. Loads of truth. Loads of truth has been communicated that way in Scripture. Really directly, obviously, you know it. You're supposed to. God intends for you to know it, and he intends you to, for, to know it with certainty. Okay? There are things like that. The next level are things that God has communicated to us where he has left some space for reasonable minds to come to different conclusions as they seek him out. Okay? If you're a spouse... If you have a spouse. Oh, let's just talk to the ladies first. This is, this is what I think may be true for some ladies. Sometimes um, a husband may ask his wife, you know, are you, are you okay? And she says, I'm totally fine. Now, this doesn't happen in my house. I've, this is from marriage counseling I've done. 
She's not totally fine. She's wanting you to seek it out in a certain way, right? She's giving you enough information. She wants you to seek her out. It's part of love, honestly. We don't just go and say, you know, sometimes it's like, what do you want for your birthday? Cash. Those marriages, you know, the gift giving ain't great. Although cash ain't bad, right? But that, you know, you, you want the person to like seek you out to know you more. So there's things that God has left in the scriptures where there's room for reasonable minds of people who love Jesus and are seeking him to come to different conclusions, right, and, and different places in their conscience about those things. These are issues where people who love God can disagree and still maintain unity as the church. It's a different level of knowledge. There's certainty, and then you have these things that are like pretty, maybe they're pretty close to certainty or really, really likely something like that, and you hold them there, but you don't hold them all the way with certainty, okay? Um, those who try to enter those second things at the level of the first things tend to cause a lot of division. Okay? They take those secondary things and they go, anyone who disagrees with me about, with, about this is not a Christian. That's, that's how they roll, right? And that's a, that's a mistake because God didn't give it to us in that way where the text unequivocally says it. It's, we're using the evidence of the scripture we're walking to it. So uh, these are things that you cannot necessarily um, know for sure. But you can, to be fair, you can have convictions about these things. You can believe that the scripture is very clear on it as long as you're willing, humble enough to realize that it's not as clear as those first things I read. Some of these things would be things like whether the church should baptize infants, whether women should be elders, Calvinism and Arminianism, pre-tribulation versus mid-tribulation versus post-tribulation rapture, okay? Whether certain spiritual gifts for individuals have ceased, and on and on and on. There's lots of things like that that people disagree on, but it doesn't mean they're not saved Christ followers, okay? It just means if they disagree with me, it just means they're wrong. So, now don't misunderstand me. I have real convictions about all of these issues, and that's what I teach. I will tell you what my convictions are. I believe that I understand these things properly from Scripture, but I usually will tell you the other convictions that people have also when I teach in these areas. You'll see that, Lord willing, as we go through Romans 9. I'm not saying that you shouldn't hold views on these. You should. I think that you should study the Scripture and hold a view on these. You should seek out God and hold a view on these, but not with the same level of certainty that you hold those first views, that God created the universe, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, those kinds of things, okay? Uh, the, the conviction that God raised Jesus from the dead and the conviction that you should or should not baptize infants are not on the same level of certainty, your level of knowledge about them, okay? The third level are the implications. You guys still with me? I, I know they're working on it. Okay, the implications from the first two levels of knowledge, okay? So you have certain things that are we know with certainty, and those things have implications. And then there's things that you have at a second level of certainty, and those things have implications. So the third level are things we know with those implications. And it depends on the thing, but those implications can actually be held at the level of certainty, or they can be held at that second level, or they can actually be held at a lower level of knowledge or of certainty of that knowledge. I'm going to give you some examples. I know this is difficult. Let me, let me give you one, okay? I know God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, we have clear text of scripture that unequivocally says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not a poem, okay? It's not, it's not a metaphor. It's very clear historical fact. He did that. This is first level certainty. You should be certain of this. Clear text. The next one, 
I hold to premillennial, pre-tribulation eschatology. Let me tell you what that means, okay? That means that I believe that we will be raptured as a church before what's called the tribulation, and that after the tribulation, there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ before the, judge, the great judgment, and then we're and then in heaven. You, we will all come back with Christ and reign on earth for a thousand years. That's what that, those weird words mean. And for that one, I have textual evidence that I think is strong, but it's of a second-level certainty. Okay? I would not disunify with another believer because they disagree with me on that. I would just think they were wrong, and we would move on. Okay? We would move on. So I wouldn't... I wouldn't have a different thing taught from the pulpit here. I, could, I can tell you about all of them, but I wouldn't have somebody teach it from the pulpit here because that's not my conviction. I, I don't believe that you're interpreting the scripture correctly if you're, if you're in a different place, but I still love you, and I still think you love Jesus, okay? That's where that is. Next one, I know internet pornography is evil. This is an implication. An impl- it's not, the Bible, I don't know if you know this, it doesn't talk about the internet anywhere. It's not in here. It's not in here at all. It's crazy. It's like they didn't have it or something. It doesn't talk about the internet. But I can make clear deductions, right? The implications from clear text of scripture about what sexual morality looks like, what God's designed for sex between a man and a woman, married for life and so on, that I can then easily say from that implication, clearly that internet pornography is evil. Very simple, okay? It is an implication from clear text, and I have first level certainty about it. I am certain of it, Okay? Next, I believe the two witnesses in Revelation will be Enoch and Elijah. Okay, this is an implication from textual evidence. In other words, I take the whole scripture together and my best reasoning says that the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, it's in there if you want to read it, are going to be Enoch and Elijah. But I hold that with a second or even a third level certainty. In other words, I probably wouldn't even spend much time arguing with anybody about it. I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's what I think is going to happen, but if I'm wrong on that one, I'm okay with that. Okay, it's not first-level certainty. I don't even hold it like I would hold my, my doctrines on baptism. I hold it at a lower level. But I believe that it's true, just not at that level of certainty. I'm just trying to get you guys to follow what the Lord is doing in the Scriptures, the things that, he, that we cannot miss, the things that you could miss on and still be a believer, although I think there's good evidence to, to, to know them pretty well, and then the implications that could or could not be. Okay, so, I don't know what time it is because the, I gotta pull my phone out. Oh, we're fine, we're fine, <laughs> fine. We, with a thing, the little thing that shows me the time, the bull burnt out or something. Um, so, <laughs> good luck. Uh, the reason... <laughs> The, the reason we need to understand these things is because we need to understand what God is communicating and how he is communicating if we want to understand the knowledge we are intended to have. That if you seek after him and study the scripture, what does he intend for you to know? Okay? He's passing knowledge, he's communicating. What does he intend for you to know? And at what level of certainty are you able to know that? He's got to leave a little mystery no lover doesn't leave some mystery for the person to seek out, right? And so not everything, or else it would just be a bullet point list, like know this, believe that, know this, believe that. That's not the way God does it. He wants you to seek him in it. So we have to understand the levels of sort of knowledge by understanding sort of things like the level of evidence or the level of probability. Is it certain or definite? Is it probably likely? Is it possibly plausibly? Those are all different levels 
that we can get to from an evidence standpoint and all different levels that we would hold something in knowledge. And if you don't understand that, the reason it's important to understand this is because if you don't, you'll hold everything with that first degree knowledge and you'll become a bearcat to deal with. Because you'll be like, hey, I believe that the scripture says this on some secondary issue and you're just, you're just hammering it, right? There are people who have, there, go on the internet if you really want to see this. There are people who have all kinds of like crazy views that they hold with like certainty that are just like, what are you even talking about? Like, there's no way you have to believe that to be saved. That's a crazy thing to think, okay? So we don't want, you don't want to get like that. That's why you have to understand. Also, in how you talk to other people, okay? If you're going to talk to an unbeliever, you need to have enough humility about the things that there's no question about, but the things there is some question about. Or what they're going to do is go, this person is certain of everything and shouldn't be. Therefore, I can't trust the things that the person is certain about. Yeah, you don't want to go further than the Bible communicates when preaching the gospel to the lost, to the unbeliever. Okay? Unbelievers need you to be honest about your level of knowledge. And most of the things in Scripture, honestly, are at that first level, so that's easy. But the things that aren't, don't overplay your hand because it's untrue. It's what we call intellectually dishonest. It's a dishonest mind. Okay. Each of these categories also gives us the ability to have greater levels of faith as we know God, okay? Things that are definite and certain don't take as much faith as things that we believe with a combination of evidence and faith. The less evidence, the more faith we have to apply, okay? So it gives us an opportunity to do that. So we can have faith in the things God communicates in the Bible, but in order to do that, before we ever get there, you gotta have faith that God exists and that he inspired the Bible, right? We have to walk through that as we go. That knowledge itself requires a combination of evidence, innate knowledge, which means knowledge that God gives all to us. It means inborn. There are certain knowledge that's inborn that God gives to everyone. So you have your evidence, you have your innate knowledge, and you have faith. Those things together are what get us to the door where we can walk through and even start to study the scripture. They're, they're, those are things that you understand like that God is real that he did inspire the scripture, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Those kinds of things, those have to happen on that evidence, innate knowledge, and faith side. Let me give you some scripture, okay? Because here's the thing. We know that even without the scripture, people can know many things about God. Not only can they, they do know many things about God. This is what Romans 1, 18 through 23 says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That means they have it, and they suppress it. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. It's evidence in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So what do we have here? The, the scripture tells us clearly. People can understand, can understand, can have knowledge prior to scripture. Prior to scripture, you can have knowledge of who God is. You can have knowledge about the God, like mysteries of God. You can have all kinds of knowledge. But what we do is we suppress those things. And I'm right. So not that we don't have them. When somebody comes here and they're an atheist or an agnostic, we can't know. That you know from the scripture, that is false. Not only can you know, you do know and you've suppressed it. 
because he's given some of these things to us innately. And we'll see that in the next part. In Romans 2, God tells us that people do things that are right and wrong because he has innately given them knowledge of his law. Listen to this, Romans 2, 14 through 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, they don't have this, okay, they don't have the Bible, by nature do the things in the law, by nature do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. This shows us that God gives innate, innate knowledge to everyone, inborn. So it's this combination of the evidence that he shows us, the innate knowledge that he's given us, and then some level of faith in everything. Now, of course, you need faith in anything you believe, okay? If you, if you believe that you're not in the matrix or whatever, and you have to have some faith to believe that. It doesn't take much, but it takes some, right? Because could be, right? No, can't. Can't be. Um, everybody has innate knowledge. Everybody. Everybody has evidence of God. Everybody. So there are things that we understand through a combination of evidence, innate knowledge, and faith. And those things together build the level of certainty that we have about things. So we take that same approach to the scripture. What God has put in our hearts innately, the evidence that he's given us from the scripture, and the faith that God has gifted us to understand the scripture and to have different levels of knowledge. Okay? First, we have the existence of God, the reliability of scripture. That comes prior to coming into it and believing it. Then we open this, the, the Bible and we can study the scriptures knowing with certainty that God uses the Bible to communicate knowledge to us. Once that happens, we can trust the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And the work we do through studying the evidence in the scripture and the reasoning God gave us with our rational minds created us, created in us, and the faith that he gives us that we can understand what he's teaching us. You have to have all that. that. That all comes prior. I understand a lot of that is, you, you would think, well, I, I understand that kind of innately, that all that's there. Fine, good. For me, I, I want to think about it. I want to think about how I'm approaching the text and what I'm expecting from the text so that I can know what a win looks like, so I can know, okay, this I understand. Combination of the Holy Spirit teaching me my innate knowledge, the evidence that's here, my faith that's coming together to put to give to me things that God is trying to communicate to me personally. I want to understand that. All right. Then we can apply faith to what we can see and form the beliefs that make up our knowledge. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, that, thi that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, the things that we cannot see, faith is the ability to believe those based on the evidence that they exist. There's trees outside, they're really big, beautiful trees on this property. We believe that there are roots. You can't see them, but you believe that they're there because the tree doesn't fall down, right? Your faith is simply the belief that by what you can see, there are things that you can't see. We do this with everything, okay? I'm leaning on this thing. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have faith in it. <laughs> Terrible point. No, I'm leaning on this thing, believing 
Because I can't see right now that these things are still here. Uh, okay, they're still here. Because if not, I'm just going down, right? Faith is believing what I can't see by what I can see. That's what it is. And the things that we believe, all of the things that we believe require some level of that, okay? We believe that the numbers 324 and 576 equal 900 because of math, right? Yes, I used a calculator to figure that out. It's all written down right here. But I don't need to count out matchsticks, 324 and 576, to make sure, yep, it did equal 900. I can use math. I have faith. Why? I know that it works. I know that it works because I've seen it work enough to know that it works. It's the same way we deal with God, with the promises of God. When he says, I promise you that I will make you new. I promise you that you will have everlasting life. Now, you can't see that yet, right? Hope is about things that we cannot see, the substance of things hoped for. But how, what evidence do I have? Well, I get to look back here, and he's given me other knowledge that he promised this, and it happened. That he promised that, and it happened. That he promised the Israelites the land, and he gave it to them. That he promised that the Messiah would come in. That he promised he'd be born of a virgin. That he promised he'd die and rose again. All of that. I can see all that. So then I can go, okay. The evidence is that every time he promises, he comes through. Therefore, I can have knowledge, certain knowledge, that the promises of God are true, and therefore those that apply to me and to the church and so on will come true. That's the process that you're using to believe these things. When someone says, why do you believe, oh, you believe that God's, that God's going to give you this or that or the other thing? Yes. Why? I have tons of evidence for it. He has consistently, in history, provably, kept his promises over and over and over and over and over again, hundreds of years apart, thousands of years apart. Prophecies coming exactly true. That's how we do it. We know that God's promise to make us new will make us new because we know that God's promise that Jesus would rise from the dead came true. And on and on. We know that God is good even when things seem bad because we see throughout our lives and throughout the scripture that God works together for good all things. All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, as we read in Romans 8, 28. This is the combination of evidence and faith that leads us to knowledge about everything, and the same thing is true of the Bible, okay? We look at the Bible the way we look at anything, anything we're going to read, which is we come to it trying to understand what it says, and for you, you need to understand that there is an author of Scripture. It is the same author for all of it, it is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through many different people who wrote, but it's the same author, and that you can know him, and that as you know him, you can know it more, and you can have varying levels of certainty. Now, that brings us to a quote, because I know we now are running out of time. Brings us to a quote that has been around for a while. I'm not sure who actually said it. People used to say Augustine said it. There's actually another guy from like the 17th century. I don't care who said it. This is what it says. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Now, that's important. That's important, and it maps to what we're talking about. What it means is that there are certain things that are essentials that we must all agree on if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers. There are a number of them. I'll list some of them here. God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God created the world, and Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. He died for our sins, rose again on the third day, will return to judge the world. The Bible is the Word of God. The church is the body of Christ, and so on, and so on, and so on. These are things that we have to believe. You cannot not believe those things and be a Christ follower. Those are fundamental things to believe, okay? Then there are non-essentials. 
okay? These are things that there can be some differing on. The first things I mentioned, no disagreement. If you don't believe those things, you're not a Christ follower. You might be saved, you might have gotten saved at some point, but you're not a Christ follower because you're rejecting the clear evidence of the scripture. And there are, there are non-essentials in which we have liberty. Is, is a Christian, uh, you know, can a Christian be an Arminian or a Calvinist? Sure, right? Do you hold it to immersion, baptism, or sprinkling, so on, right? Different, different views. Important, but they're not the kinds of things that if you don't believe them, you can't be a Christ follower. Okay? And they're at different levels. Essentials and non-essentials are at different levels of certainty, of the knowledge, the ability, the knowledge that God gives us in the Scripture to know them. Okay, this is important. You've got to map these things to each other. The essentials are things that we can clearly know. The text is unambiguous, unequivocal. We can know them. Secondary matters generally take a number of texts that we put together to come up with a framework for a certain thing that we believe. And hopefully you believe it and hold it hard with your conscience. But you, but you have liberty about that. Liberty meaning I'm okay with other people having different ideas. And in all things charity. Charity is the old word that we used to use for love. Now we mostly use it for like giving stuff to people, to the poor or whatever. But what it means originally is love. In all things love, whatever you do, whoever you're dealing with, even for those who are against Christ or, or, or heretics who you have to remove from the church, you still do it with the love of Christ. Everything in love. Seems like a pretty obvious thing. All right, I am out of time and I've got like pages left. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to come back. We'll just come back again. You guys want to do this again next week? Um, We've got, more, we've got more to think about. Um, it is extremely important to me, and I know that it can be a little dry, but it's extremely important to me that we understand the building blocks for how to study the scripture and what it means to have studied it well. What, do, what can we know from it? How do we know it? How do we hold it? And most importantly this morning, I really want you to think about as you're reading the Bible, this is God speaking to you directly. Yes, he's speaking. I'm not saying everything in the Bible is about you. It's not. Don't read the Bible like that. It's not about you. It's about God. But he is communicating knowledge to you about who he is. And then sometimes about who you are. So I want you to think about the scripture in that way. If you do not know Jesus this morning, today's the day. Today's the day. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you believe, if you believe that, based on innate knowledge, evidence, and faith, you'll be saved. We can talk to you about that. We're going to take communion here in a minute. And if you need to know Jesus Christ, I'm asking you, do not leave this place without coming to know him. You can see we're very, very serious about studying the word of God. And the reason we are is because God is real. And what he's done for me, the worst of sinners is amazing. He has proven himself. Just I myself, my life is evidence to you that God forgives sin. If you don't know him, today's the day. Mm -hmm.